And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome, welcome back to Seven Fifty-Five is Real, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project Seventy, celebrating seventy years of Tops baseball cards. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for the Athletic, with my co-host. Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever. What's happening, Eric? How you doing, man? I'm pretty good. Where, where are you at? I'm in New York. That looks like a suite for New York. What I, hotel are you at? That's a nice room. Uh, not really. It looks better than it is. I'm in uh, Midtown, Garment District. Uh, a short walk to the Bryant Park subway. First, first road trip, regular season road trip since, well, first road trip since the, uh, other than, a week of spring training this year since the St. Louis playoff series. Yeah. In 2019. Because <laughs> last year, last year I was going to the world series before the Braves got uh, beat. So yeah, it's cool, man. It's uh it's great being on the road again, especially in New York. You know, it's not quite as crowded as usual. Subway, the seven train was about one third as crowded as usual. If that, which is how, uh, shocking, you know, take the subway at one 30 and hardly anybody on it, but one thirty yeah. in the afternoon. I took it again at one thirty at night, <laughs> and there was about to say a f- just a few less people on it. So, but yeah, it's cool being here, man. Great, great weather so far, and uh, on to Cincinnati from here. So, um, the Braves two doubleheaders in two days, and the amazing thing was they got them all in. I was thinking rain might bang at least a couple, a couple of those games. But they avoided rain in Atlanta and then avoided it here yesterday when the forecast was about 40 50% for thunderstorms. So they got them all in, split four games, and the two that they won, <laughs> they won one to nothing on Ronald Acuna home runs. I mean, come on. This guy. <laughs> it's <laughs> That ball he hit yesterday. Oh. Uh, if you're a pitcher off the bat, you kind of feel like you got away with one. Yeah, I mean, you know, you hung a slider, and then you see it—the angle he hits it at—and you're like, yeah. "All right, you know, outfielder might catch that, or it might sneak past him for a double." When that thing yeah. goes out of the yard, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, can anybody else do that in big leagues right now? I'm sure there's Stanton, somebody. Probably huh? Stanton can hit a yeah. ball like that, but he but rarely hits them on lines like that, right? That low. Well, he hits some to right field that are pretty low, yeah. You know, and and he he stands there, and you're like, "Damn, he got that!" And then it gets out by 20 rows, but yeah. To dead center and even kind of tailing away like that. And then he gets hurt the next day standing, though. Yeah, and he's he's probably got 80 pounds on Acuna. I mean, he's probably 250, 240. Acuna's probably about 185 now, 190 maybe. Yeah, and Stanton's about – Stanton's a good 240. I would think, or 235. But, I mean, even then, I mean, it's he's 40 pounds on him. I, I think more than that probably. Probably closer to 60, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, he's be yeah. He's like six because Stan's like six six. 
I don't know. He's massive, but just to Kung just like, to be able to Kung hit Kung balls like, like a foot, guy that big, six foot one, Kung yeah, like six one tops. It's like, incredible yeah. he can hit balls that hard <laughs> with a thirty and thirty point five ounce bat. I, I mean, know. I heard that too. He he swings a light bat. One of the smallest bats in in the majors. Yeah, the guy from Louisville Slugger told me that the other day. Because Chipper, Chipper swung a heavy bat, thirty four. Yeah, he swung a heavy bat, and that's why guys thought he had all that opposite field power was because it was such a heavy bat he could just kind of drag it into it. But Acuna's just pure bat speed. Uh, little Ozzie Albie swings a much bigger bat than Acuna. Does he? Yeah. How about remember Franco, Julio Franco? Mm-hmm. He had like one of the last really big bats in the majors. Like a thirty-six. It was a big bat. It was like a piece of lumber, like a tree compared to what some guys are swinging. Back in the day, everybody swung them that heavy, you know. Yeah, I think you can get away with that, you know, with velocity being lower. Yeah. Guys are throwing 89 to 92. Yeah. You got to get around on 100. It's going to be tough with a 35-ounce bat. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But, yeah, that was ridiculous. I mean, and we'll get to this later, but to follow a throwing out a dude with a 97. 97. 97 on an outfield assist, 97 miles an hour, I mean, that's crazy. This dude is he's 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 unique. Um so Ian Anderson in the nightcap yesterday, the one oh game pitched five and a third innings, three hit ball, one walk, five strikeouts, and he became the first this is kind of an obscure trivia, he became the first native of New York State to beat the Mets and the Yankees in New York in the same season ever. <laughs> Which is kind of, you know, you'd have to have interleague games, obviously, or be or switch teams in the middle of the season, all that. So, you know, it's not like a ton of guys probably have tried, but he's the first. It's pretty cool. Well, I mean, I remember just pitching against the Mariners for the first time. It meant something to me. They'd released me, you know, but anytime it's your hometown team. I came up playing for them, so I didn't get that chance. But to beat both teams, yeah. that, you know, I mean, you're obviously going to be a fan of one of them. So you get to beat your team you're a fan of and the team that was their rival. That's... That's pretty cool for him. Well, and he's from upstate New York, so everybody was either a Red Sox or Yankees fan, he said. And he's oh, beat all three okay. of them now. He's beat all three of them at their places now. Damn. <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, also, while I was looking at his stats this morning, I noticed it was the sixth sixth straight game in which he's allowed either no runs or four runs. He's had three of each in his past six starts. But uh, he went 6-7. And five and a third in the three games where he allowed no runs, and he also he started that right before that stretch. He had a uh, he had a game where he gave up one run. So he's had a nice stretch here. Last seven starts where he's got a three point one nine ERA, two seventeen opponents average, six oh six opponents OPS. That's really solid. And thirty six strikeouts, eleven walks, and only two homers allowed in thirty six and two thirds innings. So he's averaging a little over five innings. So he's gotten a lot closer to what he was last year. Not quite that that good yet, but that's real solid. They'll take that anytime. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I was thinking about this the other day where the team would be if Enoa didn't break his hand. Yeah, yeah, because the starters have really come around a lot. Like, yeah, they've stepped up. Yeah, that was a uh, or or not to mention if Soroka had been healthy. I mean, they had the yeah. makings of a of a five there that would have been. But he kind of got some good news. I didn't really understand. What the- yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was that was good because the Braves had not explained anything. 
And I don't know why they just didn't come out and say when they were talking about how we got to wait a few weeks to see if it took. And they wouldn't explain what that was. We got it was a cleaning out procedure. Alex said we got to wait and see how it, you know, and check. They could have just come out and said what they found in there, which was the sutures were rejected by his body. The Achilles was perfectly fine; it had healed, but it was the sutures that were causing infl- inflammation. His body was rejecting them and fighting it. That's all it was. So okay, so basically, normally they would just absorb into his body, absorb into the Achilles, yeah. And so they were just sitting there. Sitting like on okay. top, apparently right. on top of the, the tissue, and it was inflamed because his body had rejected. They said it's happened some, but very, but it's rare. Yeah, so but then they just took those out. Took them out. They, went, they don't have to do up. anything else, but Didn't because they opened else. it, he needs some time. Maybe okay. cleaned, Maybe they cleaned up inflammation or whatever that around it, but that's it. They didn't have to do anything to the structure of the Achilles at all, which is why Alex thought he could get back this year. Yeah, that's best case scenario. Right. Soroka, though, you could tell he's like had enough of these setbacks and he's going to be really smart about it because he said, I love the optimism. It makes me want to get to the park every day and work and hard, work hard and all that. But he's going to make sure that he's ready before he, he didn't got to push yeah. it. Because they are certain now, or he's certain, and he thinks, and the, and the trainers are, that the shoulder thing was a result of him favoring that inflamed Achilles because he couldn't, he couldn't push off right. That's where he was feeling it. Yeah. Because it didn't look right. You know, it was inflamed. And he said once he got the sutures taken out, like a week later, the calf looked fine again, normal again for the first time. It wasn't inflamed and swollen. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't completely understand it when the article came out, but yeah, um, that's I guess that's best case scenario. So it'd yeah, be I great mean, to get should, him back. He should be perfectly fine next year, if not the end of this year. When he gets, there should be nothing slowing him down now. You know, yeah, because the, the Achilles is healed, and it did nothing. They did nothing to it in pushing it to get back and all that. So good. So we'll see. But uh, oh, Ian Anderson last night asked him about the uh, six sticky substance checks. Yesterday was the first day of the new sticky substance enforcement rules, and they are enforcing them. Um, you know, I haven't watched everything, but I don't think anybody was caught yesterday on the first day. They'd be kind of stupid to get caught. Nobody's going to get caught. <laughs> All the starters were checked. Before uh, or when they came off the field after the first inning, at least the doubleheader that I saw, four starters. Uh, when they came off the field after the fourth inning, it was funny because uh, first guy to do it is is uh, uh, is with the bats. You're, you're talking about God walking off, and they boot yeah. like crazy when their guy is checked at the first baseline, and they stop him, Degrom, and they they check the hat, the belt, and the glove. It's like an interrogation that like two two or three, I think it was two umps, came up and they kind of stop him. And DeGrom's like, what? You know, because I, I, he acted like he didn't know that was when they were going to do it. But everybody's booing like crazy. It only took about 20 seconds. They check his hat, his glove. And then you could tell they asked him to check his belt because he was kind of like, really? You could tell. And he has to like pull the belt down to the front, you know, and show him. Yeah. And all this is right on the first baseline in front of the dugout. But like I said, it was quick. They didn't, they didn't pass, and then they did the same to uh, Ian Anderson in his game, uh, all four starters. And then later, Ian, they checked him after like the fourth or the fifth inning. They checked each of the starters after like the fourth or fifth inning, um, probably the fourth because they wanted to make sure they were still in the game. And they checked them, you know, to make sure they didn't load up anything in the interim. So, But that was it. That was the extent of it. I, I'm, I'm not sure about what they're going to do with relievers, if that's going to be a random thing. Um, yeah, because I don't know. I mean, you can't. 
the thing is about it is anytime there's a pitching change, you got time. You know, the next guy has to yeah. warm up. So they, they could check. I mean, they could check every single reliever. I heard I saw they, people getting worked up over it, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's good. You've seen offense go up. I think they, I read they checked. Uh, I didn't notice it, but they checked Diaz last night. I saw that. As he was coming into the game, right? Coming in, not after. Well, yeah, because if you bust him after, it's a little too late. Right. Because if you give up already. a walk off, or if you give up a, if you give up a walk off, or if you get the last out, they're not going to stop you when your team's celebrating and you don't Say do it doesn't that. count. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's what, uh, so that's what they're doing with the relievers, I guess. So it's going to be interesting to watch it, but um, nobody seemed to mind. Uh, Ian said it's different, but it's going to be part of it going forward. Just going to have to deal with it. Uh, he said, I think it's kind of random. He said they checked him in the first inning, and then he said, I think it's kind of random after that. They got me again in either the fourth or fifth inning. I don't know if it's any different with a nine-inning game because these were seven-inning games yesterday, obviously, doubleheader. But I think that's going to be kind of the process going forward. So they checked the hack glove and then the belt. They were kind of checking. That's the message they've kind of come across. They've kind of come across with. So I think that's the way pitchers are looking at it. I think most of them probably don't mind because most of them aren't using the stickiest of sticky stuff. So even if they were using a little something, they probably feel like the other guys were really cheating and they weren't. So they would rather just all of it be eliminated than you know nothing. So that's where you know that's where my head would be at. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the steroid era when if it was almost you were at such a disadvantage if you weren't at using it. And so I don't blame guys that during the, yeah you know, in the hottest point where everybody was on it, if you jumped yeah. on it in 2000 or 2001 and you were a middle of the road guy and it was either I'm going home or I got to do this. I mean, sure. guys were in a really tough position, but I think even back then everybody just wanted the game clean. There yeah. was a few guys that were like – you know, they fell off the face of the earth. And then there's other guys who maybe had a lower dosage that didn't affect too much. But yeah, kind of the same thing with this. You know, if you were – it's going to be awkward. And, I, you know, if you were using pine tar or something kind of sticky, that, that helped a little bit. But the guys that took it to the extreme with the adhesive, you're going to see a drastic difference in, in those guys' spin rates and, and their numbers. But, you know, I think any pitcher would be stupid to use it now um, because there are going to be those checks. And you're going to get everything you've accomplished – in the exactly. last two or three years is going to get taken away. Yeah. So if you've, if you've had two or three really good years and you know, your spin rate drops a hundred or 200 and you keep battling, you know, people can make their assumptions, but if you get caught with it, it's going to be, you were cheating and this is the only reason you were good. You're, you know, you're going to get discredited everything you've done. So, I mean, that's the big risk. Yeah, exactly. It, you know what? Theoretically, this could keep some guys out of the hall of fame if they get, if they get caught. If they're those kind of guys and they yep. were noted for having a big spin rate, and especially if they had a spin rate that increased at some point in their career, yeah. whether it's fair or not, because it's probably not fair, but guys are going to look at it like they did steroids. Yeah. And there it, it will keep some guys out if they get banged for it and suspended for 10 games. And not to mention, the, most of the managers, I think, put the fear of God in players because Snit talked to his players about it and told them, look, if you get banged, we can't replace you. So that's a yeah. huge deal. That's yeah. the difference. That's what MLB was smart about. Because yep. if they let the team replace that pitcher, I think it it wouldn't be quite the uh, – You're only hurting yourself. Right. It wouldn't have but, quite the same effect to stop guys. If they think they're hurting their teammates because they know their teams are going to be going, what the hell, man? You're killing well, us. Well, starters go, starters go shorter than they've ever gone now. So if you lose a reliever for 10 games and you're just a man short down there, 
that screws your pen and and it screws your whole team for for 10 days so how about if you lose uh, a starter uh, yeah think about that well you're well you're gonna lose a reliever though because they'll call up a starter you know i mean you'll you know what i mean you're gonna be down a reliever in the pen in in the big picture because you're gonna replace that starter. you're gonna have a four-man rotation but if you lose i mean if you lose ian anderson for two starts right now yeah that kills you yeah because you're gonna have to you you're gonna have to bullpen games on those days you know, or move a guy from the bullpen to start. Yep. So either way, yeah. If you're a pitcher and you do it knowingly and get caught, your team is teammates are going to be. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, they were do. smart about that. Yeah. So I think this is going to have a really, it's going to have the effect they wanted. Now it's just going to be interesting to see what the what the resultant offense is like. It seems like it's. I mean, I don't, I don't have any numbers, but it yeah. seems like there's been a lot more seven, eight run games than there was a week ago, and there hasn't been any no hitters. Yeah, it's kind of tough to tell from the Braves games because, I mean, you had DeGrom pitch in one of them. It doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, he's filthy as usual. You know, the only thing with him right now is he's only going five, five or six innings most games because, you know, he's trying to stay healthy. He's got all these little yeah. nagging things. So the Braves kind of dared him to swing yesterday, and he wasn't going to. But he gave him a pitch to hit, and he swung and hit that pop-up. But he wasn't going to swing. But they intentionally walked the guy to bring up. DeGrom was hitting, like, close to 400. Yeah. I know. I was like, I hope this doesn't backfire. Yeah. <laughs> the way things are going with Snit, you thought it was going to backfire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I thought, I mean, the weirdest thing I saw DeGrom do yesterday was walk Moeller on a bunch of sliders to get to Acuna. And that was when he kind of started, he he looked like he lost yeah. a little confidence or comfort. And I was like, yeah. you know, maybe he's, maybe he's hurt again or something's going on. But that was just an awkward at bat. Three straight striders, sliders up. Yeah. On, on, on Moeller, and, who's six foot and, seven. And walked him on a three-two slider with nobody on to face Acuna. I was just kind of like, "Is he calling this? Does he want to work it, on his slider? Is he so good he just wants to work on his slider for Acuna?" It was you almost know, or, like it was almost like Degrom had seen, uh, had heard, got wind of Mueller's batting practice the other day. That's fine, but Acuna's on deck. <laughs> I know. I don't care who's up. <laughs> no, no doubt. Um, he had commented on it. Yeah, he was just he was just missing with that slider because he commented on that walk. It got away from him, but it was weird. Mueller even said, because I said, uh, well, you did hit 15 homers as a senior in high school. You were one of the biggest home run hitters in, in, in high school ball that year. He goes, yeah, but some of the kids I was facing in high school, that's a little different than facing DeGrom. Yeah. He goes, I got to tell you, there's, there was, that wasn't all skill. There was some luck involved. He said if he had thrown me the same slider that he was throwing all the rest of the guys on the team, I would have been out. On two pitches. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
So, yeah, he pitches uh, Ian pitched really well in that 1-0 win in the second game. But, of course, the story of that game was Acuna, as it usually is, the story of this Braves season and plenty more seasons to come, I'm sure, with the Braves. This guy, truly, where would the Braves be right now without Acuna this season, dude? No good. <laughs> no good. <laughs> Not a good spot. I mean, this guy, he is uh, – I said that they could at least afford to lose Freddie before the season started, but I, I think I would have to <laughs> reassess and say Acuna at this point. But either one of them you don't want to do without. But Acuna, the, he does everything, man. He had an assist last night on a 97-point-something mile-an-hour throw from right to nail Pete Alonso trying to go from first to third. And later in the game – Alonzo didn't even try it. He went first to second, said, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not going to third. But, I mean, it was 97, dude. As a pitcher, you can appreciate that. Man, it, the cool thing is they showed us a video of him from the side, uh-huh. and it's all the positions you'd want a pitcher to get in to throw yeah. efficiently and really well. And, you, like, he hasn't worked on that. That's just who he is. Yeah, he, yeah. You know, he probably plays catch <laughs> before the games. If you if you took a guy like him and got him off the mound consistently, he could throw a hundred. I mean, he could do everything on the field. Um, I thought the best part of that play though was Riley being smart. That throw was going to run right into Alonzo. Riley came up and got in front of it. You know, he took two or three steps in yeah. front of third base. Yeah. For me, that was such a smart play because almost every third baseman sits there and waits. It bounces off of Alonzo, maybe even deflects and scores a run. Yeah. Um, he 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 got up, cut it off in front, reached back and tagged him. Um, that was just an instinct play that I was really impressed with with Riley. I think Riley might be the most underrated defensive player in the league. Seriously, this guy is really good. I know he's made some errant throws this year, and those he'll work through that. That's just you know that, that's trying to rush things and not having a timing down yet or whatever, getting a little careless. But the plays he makes, the fielding plays he makes, are phenomenal. And he's got a cannon for an arm too. He has a but great made, arm too. He made three plays in that doubleheader yesterday that were terrific diving plays where he showed reflexes of somebody, you know, of a 160-pound point guard. Yeah. This dude's like 250 pounds, 240 Yeah, he can pounds. move. He can move. Made two plays going to his left, one going to his right, I think it was. But the play he made that nearly ended the game, mm-hmm. he makes that diving stab, saves a run, and then dives back and and almost almost beat, got him. Almost yeah. had end game any double play, which would have been a highlight reel forever. But the, they overturned it because the replay showed he got back. But terrific plays he made over there. The nice thing about him is, you know, he's a big boy, but I don't think he manufactured that in the weight room. You know, no, I think that's just, just yeah. that's just who he is, and yeah. that for me, that's always a big deal because. <laughs> Certain guys that that want to bulk up and have that power, you know, you lose something by by putting on all that muscle because it's not how your body naturally functions. For him to just be that big and strong and still be able to move the way he can, yeah. you know, I don't worry about injuries or him breaking down later in his career. That, that's just who he is. Um, yeah, at his arm. I mean, you can watch him throw too, and you know he didn't build it in the weight room. Like he he can just move fluid, have fluid movements at that weight. Um, and it, but it is it is surprising to see a guy that big still be able to move like that. Yeah, you don't worry about him getting like obliques and intercostals, like diving and all this and swinging. He, you know, he's had like a knee thing. That, that, yeah, that's but not the other stuff that you would see from somebody that's over shredded. But 
at, to your point, he could. This is a guy that could easily carry two hundred seventy pounds if he was Easy. like playing football or he just wanted to bulk up. Because you look at him and he's not like uh, he's just thick and built, but he's not ripped. He's not shredded. He's not right. vascular. You know. Yeah. He's just uh, that's 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 natural that that uh, physique he's got. You know, from the yeah. waist down, that's just he's just a big boy. This country strong. Big base, big hips. Yeah. Yeah. He's a hell of a he's a hell of a defensive player. I think I, I, people that talked about you know that uh, he was a liability. Thirty's not. He's just made a few throwing errors that are that are stand out. But uh, overall, his defense is really strong. But that's what I don't know. What what are the metrics on his defense? Do you have anything on that? If he if he scores have, well, I, I'd have to look at he it. He scores well test. in some and the but the error the throwing errors that kind of bring it down a little bit for like defensive run saved and stuff. But that's an easy um, thing to clean up though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the field, the the range is, yeah, outstanding. But um, getting back to to Acuna, who I think is truly the best five tool player in the major leagues, and I don't think there's anybody even close. You can say Tatis, but for five tools, I'm going, I'm going Acuna, man. Uh, hitting for high average, power, throwing arm, fielding, and running. I mean, this guy does everything, and does it all exceptionally. Yeah. He's hitting 290 with a 401 OBP, 614 slug, and a 1015 OPS. It's third best in the majors. And that's even after having a down few weeks, you know, after that start he had. But he's on an uptick now again. 20 homers, tied for fourth most in the majors. Trails only Tatis in the NL. Um, When he led off the fifth inning, that homer off Castro, who had just entered the game. It was, Castro has to be going, what the hell, man? He enters the game. And he hits a line drive off of him to center field that was like – when it came off the bat, I mean, the center field camera view, you look at that home – you just don't see home runs hit like that. The way that thing screamed at the center field camera. And I'm telling just, you, man, <laughs> as a pitcher, when it comes off the bat at that angle, you know uh-huh. you made a bad pitch, but you think you got away with one. Yeah. You know, you know, like David Wright hit a ball like that off me, and they caught it 20 feet from the track. You know, and and that's that's what your your mind says when it comes off at that low trajectory. He didn't pull it. You know, if a guy pulls a ball at right. that angle to left center or left field line, you're like, shit, that might sneak out. Right. But when you hit it to dead center, especially at City Field, you think you got away with one, and yeah. then you turn around. I mean, my jaw would just drop as a pitcher. I would just be like, well, you, this dude's the best in the world. You go from being a pitcher thinking that ball might hit me in the head yeah. to turning and that ball's out of the park. Yeah. I mean, that's not much of an exaggeration. The way it came off the bat for a second, it was that low. And it just kept going up, man. <laughs> it's incredible. He is uh, – I haven't seen one hit like that this year. It was 115 point whatever off the bat. And that didn't even do it justice. No. The third high, the third hardest exit velo on a Braves home run since StatCast started in 2015. And he's got the other two that were harder. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say Judd, Aaron Judge, probably Otani. I mean, Otani's hit some crazy home yeah. runs. Stanton. I mean, I can't think of too many other guys that could hit a ball like that. And those guys are all way bigger than him. Way bigger than him. Nobody his size that I can think of is hitting. Tatis can hit him. Tatis could probably bombs. do something like That's that. That's about it, man. Yeah. That's about it. That are that are his weight under two hundred pounds. Yeah. He's uh, so for the second day in a row, it was the only scoring in a one Oh win. How many guys do you think? I don't know if you've seen this stat yet. 
but how many guys do you think in the modern baseball era have hit home runs in consecutive 1-0 team wins? I saw I, – I know it's, it's, it's barely anybody. It was like one dude. One other guy. And it was recent, and it's a guy you would never – if you gave 250 guesses, you'd never pick him. A thousand guesses, you might not pick him. <laughs> Who was it? Joe Panic. Ah, uh, okay. Joe Panic did it in 2018 with the Giants. And here's the crazy shit about that one. Panic hit four home runs all year, and he hit two of them on March 29th and March 30th in 1 0 wins. <laughs> well, I guess you got a better Baseball, shot of doing man. it. You got a better shot of doing it in that in that pitcher's park in San Francisco. You know, I mean, that, oh, being 1 0 games. Yeah, being a low scoring game, but yeah. still. Yeah, I don't know if they were at home or not. I, I, I should have checked that, but. And how many of them threw a guy out in the same game? Oh, God, I know. Yeah, it's <laughs> a safe run. Yeah. Uh, so now, and, and Acuna's got 20 home runs already. We're, we're not halfway into the season yet. Panic hit four in the whole year. So, um, left the bat at 115.7. And I asked Ned about having a guy that's hit the only, accounted for the only run in two straight wins. With a home run, and Snick has since says that's just a special player this kid is. He said, "Like I say, it's like he's in the backyard every night. It's no stress, nothing, just in the backyard playing ball. He likes playing ball, and I would too. If I had his skill set, I would love to be out there every day." <laughs> <laughs> he said, and then uh, Acuna came in the Zoom room after Snit and asked him what he had, what uh, told him what Snit had said about him just looking like he's having fun, and, uh, and Acuna kind of smiled and said. That's how I've always been. I'm going to go always go out and try and enjoy myself, have fun. It's the big leagues, no doubt. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and not have fun. I'm going to give 100%, but I'm always going to go out and try to have fun. And he does, man. He You would think maybe it's, we're in the third, fourth year of his career now that it would start to get a little bit more of a job for him and a little less of that joy. Not at all. If, if He's the same as he was, if, if not more so. Yeah. I mean, he has a home run and he celebrates like it's his first one. <laughs> Good for him. I, well, that's the that was funny too, running around the bases like this yeah. because. Yeah. He's I, the new chipper, even more so though. Yep. And chipper never acted him on quite like that. No. I was just thinking, I was watching that like, all right, but you know, that's that's never going away. You know, every time he's right. in New York from now, but that's cool because he's amping it up. But yeah. every time he's in New York, those fans are going to boo him so loud. Every time from now on, but I think he, you know, like he doesn't feel pressure. You know, that's not going to phase him. It's it's almost like that'll make him better. So that'll be a fun yeah. thing to watch in the future. Oh, he dry, he he said he loved it. I loved getting booed. They were booing me crazy, like crazy. Some guys that might bother him. He's opposite. He's like Chipper. Chipper loved it. It was that mutual respect thing. Although Chipper would have never done that. Let's go or do the hands like like <laughs> yeah. did that after he crossed the plate. Chipper would have never done that. But Chipper said something. You remember what he said uh-uh. after they eliminated the Mets late in the season with the with Chipper, Chipper won the MVP that year and they were they were killing the Mets. It was a close race and down the stretch the Braves beat them every time. Chipper was just going crazy after the one series that came in. I think they swept them and Chipper said, "Now all the Mets fans can go get their Yankee gear, <laughs> put it on." <laughs> <laughs> that was it. After that, the boos were like every time they said his name at City Field or Shea Stadium, it was like crazy. Yeah, well, this was, is this will do the equivalent, you know, yeah. running around the bases like this. Will, yeah, that'll be equivalent to that. Now they now they can go get their Yankee gear. <laughs> 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 uh, 
But uh, yeah, he was doing that. And he was doing this, coming around the bases while he's running. And he said, it got quiet. I was telling him, let's go. What are you doing? <laughs> he's fun to watch, man. But there's going to be, I think, that same kind of relationship, that mutual respect. Because they know he's, he's such a hell yeah. of a player, like they did Chipper, you know. So they'll, at the same time, they'll boo him. And then the day he retires, they'll give him a standing ovation like they did Chipper. <laughs> yeah. This would be a long ways away. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun in between. Uh, a lot. Of, there'll be a whole generation of Mets fans come before that, before he retires, probably. But Snit said, uh, uh, I was asked him about the, you know, doing that and the ninety-seven point three mile an hour throw for insist in the same game, and he said, Snit said, "Oh my God, you're seeing all the tools. That's for sure." He amazes me. I mean, the home run. I thought the home run he hit in Philly might have been the hardest hit ball I've ever seen. But that right there tonight might be the one, one of the hardest hit balls I've ever seen in my life. And then that play. He said, I've said this before. He's a weapon in right field. He's a weapon when you challenge him. He's one of those guys that there's not a player that he doesn't think he – a play that he doesn't think he can make, and rightfully so. And that's true. Yep. That confidence yep. is just enormous, man. I mean, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to have that ability and go out and play with it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, to to know it's there that you can just do things that other people cannot do or even dream about doing. If I was watching Degrom pitch and just thinking how much you know, it's easy yeah. to have fun when you have all that. <laughs> how much? Yeah. How much fun would it be to just sit a hundred for seven innings and throw your slider wherever you want? Or you know, if you're Acuna, you don't even have to. That was probably the best thing is he got a hanging slider middle in. And he yeah. didn't try to pull it. He can hit it dead center on a line. You know, if you had that power, how yep. much fun is it to just sit back and wait for your pitch? Yep. Yeah, and you know, DeGrom, you're talking everybody's wondering, you know, why he signed with the Mets, re-sign with the Mets, or you know, that it's, they're wasting DeGrom or that he's not having much fun. I think DeGrom has his, has a has a ball because he's so good. And I think he sees it as, you know, he wants to win, sure, but he every game he's out there to dominate. And if he does his job, he did his job. But I don't think he gets any less enjoyment out of the fact that they haven't won. I mean, he'd love to win a World Series and all that, but he's having a good time. You can tell. DeGrom enjoys being close to perfect every time he goes out there. He tries well, to Well, and the way they treat you in New York when you're yeah. a superstar, yeah. there, there's just there's nowhere like that. I even got – when I had a 35 ERA and sucked in New York, I got recognized when I went around town. I mean, yeah. it was negative energy, but <laughs> I went out with DeGrom a few times, and it's like it's like – you know the crowd just parts and you walk to your table at the restaurant or whatever you know i don't i don't think that's really his thing what he gets off on but yeah you know you get treated pretty damn well i, I wouldn't want to play anywhere else if i was that good i mean he, he gets treated like that in new york and he gets to play leonard skinner's simple man when he's warming up i mean who else could do that in new york you gotta be damn good to me. yeah <laughs> and it sounds good it's in new york playing over the loudspeakers but it sounds great and then he goes out there and just does his thing man yeah, he cool. should never. He should. He's another guy that should never wear another uniform. Yeah, you know, even if even if he starts to fall off a little bit, they should keep him around till the end, so he just wears that one jersey his whole career. It's got the same feel to me that Bumgarner did in San Francisco. Yep. Even when they got bad, he was still good, and he warmed up the simple man too. As a matter of fact, from North Carolina, but uh, uh, yeah, it was either him or it was either that or uh, oh god, I forgot the other one. But anyway, yeah. Uh, but like you'd be in San Francisco on a Sunday afternoon game and he's warming up and that's playing over the speakers there. And it was just so natural. I mean, it just feels yep. – it would be weird to see DeGrom in another uniform, just like it is Bumgarner still yeah. to see him in an Arizona uniform. But um, 
talking about Ian Anderson. Anderson said uh, he was talking about that assist because Ian was pitching. He said he's special. When he threw that guy out, I was thinking, man, I haven't had a break like that in a while because that was an incredible play. And then to hit that home run, two solo home runs and one zero wins is pretty impressive because that speaks to the the pitch. And Ian said that speaks to the pitching too. I think we're starting to find our groove a little bit. I think he's right. I think this starting rotation has really made some progress in recent yeah. last couple of weeks, considering guys they've lost and all that, and uh, that are waiting to get back. And I think they've done a pretty good job. Smiley has really stepped up. I know everybody bailed on him. They're still yeah. and they're still waiting for him to come around. And they're suspect that he can keep it going. But that last start was was that was what they signed. That's the guy they were looking for. Yeah, he's been a lot better. Um, you know, I mean, I was thinking it was Shane Green too. You know, like new teams and stuff. Shane Green hasn't gotten off to a good start. A new team, new situation, finding that comfort level for Green getting that that late start uh, coming in. It, it's almost like something it always works out like that where you get off to this rough start and everybody wants to quit on you. But, you know, I mean, it's going to take, if Smiley's, if he pitches like this for another two months, still nobody's going to believe in him. You know, I mean, it's going to take a long time to prove himself, but you know, I mean, you just got to take it start by start. And, and as a, as a person, you know, as when you're yourself, you got to just let all that go and forget it, you know, because it's easy to get wrapped up and nobody believes in me, but I mean, it's a tough spot to be in when you get off to a rough start with a new team. Yeah, and eleven million dollar contract when they're going, man, we could have used that money to sign relievers, bring Melanson back, blah blah blah. Yeah. To his credit, he said after those bad starts that he couldn't give up on his long season and that he wouldn't go give up on himself. He knows how good he can be and he's going to take it start by start, and that's what he's done. I mean, yeah. he has taken it game by game, and even when he's pitched really well the last couple of times, he said it's a long season. I got to just keep going out and doing the thing. I can't get carried away, and it's just, you know. But he's he's done a really good job of. Uh, and he's been through this. He's had seasons where he struggled like crazy. He's had a long career, and it's not been that great at times. Uh, got a lot of injuries, so he's had overcome adversity. So seems to take it to take it well and, and keep it in perspective, and and not let the the reaction from Atlantans who uh, really are you know upset with him. They haven't. It hasn't gotten to him. So it well, it's it. it's really easy to say all that stuff. It's a lot harder to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but especially when you know there's kind of this cloud over you every time you take them out and everybody's waiting for you to fail and, and they've already quit on you, you know, to keep believing in yourself. It's not an easy thing to do, but you don't yeah. have a choice. He said he made some 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 uh, adjustments with working with Cranny before, you know, the last couple of starts and really it's really paid off. And, and uh, you know, uh, Charlie Morton said the same thing. Charlie Morton said they worked on some things. Charlie realized he wasn't being directional to the to the ball like you've talked about this pulling off yeah and and uh and, and smiley was doing the same thing uh, basically but but charlie said since he's got back in the line in line with uh, and 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 directional that the results is good because he looks like himself now like he did last year you know at the end the, after his slow start last year he kind of came around and uh, the rest of the season pitched, that's way he looks now i mean he was just dominant the last time out yeah and that's you know that's that's something hard to hard to stick to with them. too but those little differences, man, that, that little difference in the ball coming at this angle instead of that angle out of your hand mm-hmm. or, or, or hiding it for an extra split second. You know, at, at the major league level, every little tiny detail matters. And that's that's why it's hard because you can you can just be a tiny little adjustment away and have a six ERA and you make this small adjustment that the naked eye, somebody watching on TV can't see any difference. Yeah. 
and all of a sudden you're back to who you were, you know, you got it too. But that, I mean, that's probably the hardest thing about playing in the major leagues is just understanding that you're always that one tiny little adjustment away, but actually believing in it and finding out what it is. And then it works, you know, and you got to think, you know, did I get lucky or did I actually nail this? Yeah. And, and am I back? And it's, it's kind of like, you can't not believe in yourself as a major league player, but people on the outside can give up on you day in, day out. It doesn't really affect them at all, but yeah, good job on both those guys. Yeah. I mean, he could be 37 and still take a few starts to realize, you know, you're doing, you're, you're a little bit off and then fix it and boom, here we go. Yep. But he and, he and uh, Smiley taking no hitters deep into games the last couple of what, uh, Charlie had one, what, to the seventh inning? Took no hitter mm-hmm. to the seventh inning the other day. Guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll finish up the show. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey, guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I thought the other thing yesterday, he didn't get a win and they lost the game, but I thought it was a huge day for Kyle Muller because in his debut last week, as a reliever, I mean, he's a starter and made his debut as a reliever and got shelled, gave up four hits. I mean, they weren't, most of them weren't hard hit balls, but he gave up four hits in an inning, a couple of runs. And that's not the way you want your debut to go, but he wasn't down about it at all. And then he comes back the next week and gets a start. Thankfully for him, there was a doubleheader and they needed him. They made a start. And this was, this. he looked like a top prospect yet. yesterday. He faced a Grom and he held his own for the four innings that Muller was in the game. I thought he looked terrific. He did. You know, I mean, it's tough because you'll hear the scouting report on guys and it's like, oh, yeah, he's deadlifting a semi truck or he throws 98. Yeah. And, and then you see the walks and I'm just kind of like, well, it's, it's another guy throwing hard with no clue where it's going or something like that. And you can't you can't judge a guy in his debut. It's really hard because you have so much adrenaline. You're so uncomfortable. There's so much going through your head. You can't I mean, you seriously can't even feel the ball in your hands. You have so much adrenaline. Right. Yeah. So it was. It's tough to judge that, and I watched that inning, and I was like, eh, "That's kind of who I thought might be coming up." But watching him yesterday, you know, I never heard how good his breaking ball was. Yeah, his his curveball and slider are legit yeah. major league pitches. I know he's throwing hard too, but that's what 
that's what caught my attention was those breaking balls he was throwing. And, you know, maybe if, if he has some control issues or this or that, um, but with that secondary stuff, man, that's what fired me up and made me think, wow, this dude is a, a big-time prospect. The slider has been a difference maker for him that he worked was, on since last year. And he had really cut down the, the walks, had been yep. way down in the last three starts in AAA. So yeah. it looks like he's really turned a corner. And then yesterday, obviously, that's a whole different thing to do it in the big league level against the Grom at New York. I mean, that's uh, in your first major league start. Impressive yeah. stuff. I, no, I, I was – I was more than impressed. Like I, that was a that was a great showing for him. I was down by the dugout at three forty five yesterday, down there talking to Wash, and then I'm sitting there just standing. And then I see this big dude come out of the tunnel. Kyle Muller <laughs> comes up together. the steps. He comes up the steps. He's got on shorts, socks, his shower sandals, shower shoes, and a and a t shirt. Of course, he's ripped. And he walks up, looks around, see everybody looking, and nobody's looking. He's just kind of doing his thing. And he walked out to the mound. They still got the tarp on the mound. He went to the top of the mound. He stands there looking in. He faked like he was throwing a couple of pitches, stood there, looked around. Then he walked off. It's a whole thing about 15 seconds maybe. And then uh, then he walks back towards me, and then he sees some Braves are out in the left field stretch, and he walks out to them, gets directions to the bullpen, which, you know, it's, it's just yeah, beyond yeah. like right center, right center. city field. So he walks out there alone, strides out there, long strides. He's a big dude. <laughs> Goes in the bullpen, looks around. And then later after the game, I was talking to him about it, and uh, – he said, he said, uh, he goes, I went out to the mound early just to get a feel of the stadium. I went to the mound when they had the tarp was on, and I just kind of looked around so it wasn't foreign to me when I got out there. Then the same in the bullpen. And he said, he looked up at the Jumbotron, and they had his picture and DeGrom's, and they had DeGrom's stats and Muller's stats after his one-inning appearance. <laughs> and he said, uh, his numbers versus my one-inning numbers. He goes, I wanted to take a picture of it so bad, but I was like, no, don't do that. Act like you've been here before. <laughs> he goes, but no, it was super cool to watch and pitch and obviously pitch against him. So yeah. he was able – I think that was really smart of him to do that. Some guys probably don't do that and go out before the game started. Probably They're probably worried about going out and somebody seeing them do that. But he just yeah. stood on the mound alone and looked in and got a feel for it, looked around the stadium. Yeah, I mean, it's you can't really do that when you get out there, you know, and there's yeah. 40,000 yeah. yelling at you. you got like bad news bears if you do that and they ask yeah. you, though, you got to lock in. But, I mean, that's that's probably the biggest change from AAA to the big leagues is yeah. just – the surroundings, you know, all of a sudden. And that ballpark. That ballpark can get crazy. It's big. There's big it's decks big. all the way around. There's a lot it's not going like, on. Yeah. It's not that like. Was what, that's what threw me off in of my debut. You know, I was cool warming up. I was kind of nervous. It was in yeah. Oakland. But when I was jogging out, I looked up and saw myself <laughs> on the Jumbotron. And that was when it was like the adrenaline kicked in and I had to try to get a hold of myself. I didn't yeah. really. I mean, I was nervous for the whole thing. But once you see that big jumbotron and and your face up on it, you, that's yeah. when it's like this is real. You know, you really this is happening, and it kind of sets in what a big deal what you're doing is, and that's when you got to kind of try to control it. So that's smart I, of him. I think most people most most people don't realize they probably don't go to many minor league games or haven't been to one in a long time. How different the ballparks are. They forget most minor league stadiums have little if any outfield seats. None. And there's there's two decks tops and there's small decks. You get into a major league stadium, there's like three or four decks. <laughs> and, yep. you know, some places four, but there's usually at least three. And they go up at a much harsher angle. And there's yeah. outfield seats in most places that go almost all the way around, if not all the way around. So you don't see open spaces out there and a road and cars and 
part yep, of the everything's buildings. on top of you. Yes. That's like that old Yankee Stadium. The first time I pitched there, you look up and they they used to stack the seats really steep at the yeah. old parks. Yeah. So you'd look up and there'd just be 50,000 New Yorkers going crazy. And you just see this little hole at the top. <laughs> and it was just all this other stuff was right on top of you. You know, I mean, that's yeah. those are things you just can't you can't prepare for that pressure when you're in the minor leagues. And, that, you, and that's why it was good for some of those guys to pitch in empty stadiums last year, I think. But yeah. Yeah. yeah like Ian Anderson, those guys. Yeah. You got to find a way to channel between you and the pitcher and ignore the rest. And there's just so much more to ignore. Yeah. Going from minor league park to that's got to feel like going to the Rome Coliseum man, into the yeah. lion's den with everybody yeah. just around you. Uh, DeGrom pitched as usual, allowed one hit, five scoreless innings, six strikeouts, lowered his ERA to 0.50. He's having an historic year. Even though he's not going that deep in games, he's trying to protect all those little nagging things he's got. The Braves dared him to hit last night, intentionally walked him to bring or to, to, uh, or, or walked uh, Muller. Muller walked a dude to, to bring DeGrom up. Muller, yeah, yeah. He walked. What was it? Uh, Degrom came up and kind of dared him to swing intentionally. Well, to bring up Degrom as a 400 hitter, you know, or close to it this yep. year, he's been hitting 400 most of the year, and he said he wasn't going to swing, you know, because he's had he's had the nagging stuff, the shoulder, didn't want to aggravate it, but he did swing and popped out, he flew out, but he tried to drag bunt with two outs at the first pitch. Yeah, 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 he did. He was, and then and then Degrom walked two guys, which for him is like walking ten guys. But the crazy thing was, one of the two walks was Muller. He has not opposing no opposing pitcher had reached base this season against Degrom, which I is crazy when you that. think about all the hits that Braves pitchers have given up two pitchers this year, but and, and walks they've walked several pitchers as well. But he had no pitcher had reached against Degrom until Muller draws an eight pitch walk. That and was the weirdest thing I saw all day. <laughs> even for a six sliders. seven guy. Yeah. With 15 homers in his last year in high school, last time he really hit much. Yeah, that's fine, but you got Acuna on deck. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I was trying to figure out who's calling these pitches. I couldn't see the camera if DeGrom shook to him or, or if he was just trying to pad his strikeout numbers. But 3-2 slider to the pitcher with Acuna on deck, I, my, I didn't even know what to think about that. The best pitcher in the world. It's a rookie pitcher up there. You flip him a bunch of sliders. I have got a quote from the Mets, our Mets guy, the Athletics Mets writer, gave me a quote from Degrom about what he is, what, what he did on that. Let me give it. Let me let me find this real quick. While you're, uh, but yeah, he threw him three straight sliders, and and even Mueller said about the walk. He said, "Man, I would be." I said there was that was all skill. He goes, "There was some luck involved." He said, "If he throw me the same slider they threw all of other guys, I would have been out." <laughs> or the fastball. Or the <laughs> fastball. But he did it, 15 homers his senior year at Dallas Jesuit High. He was one of the best home run hitters in the country. And nobody at that school has hit more than seven since then. He had like 52 ribbies. I mean, huge Okay, but throw Acuna in that league, how many has he hit? <laughs> well, that's what that's what Muller said. He goes, there's a little difference between some of the kids I was facing in high school and facing DeGrom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, the quote from, from uh, DeGrom on the Muller walk, he said, there in the third inning, I lost a little bit. I noticed I was flying open, and that's why I couldn't locate. I felt like I was I got really rotational. I noticed on those sliders, my front side was flying open, and that's why I couldn't throw the ball where I wanted. My arm slot was more toward third base, and I was getting around the baseball. One thing I will say, I did continue to throw them, the sliders, to him, to him, because I was thinking, you need to throw a good one. 
I wasn't able yeah. to. I definitely don't want to walk the pitcher there with who's on deck, but I was fortunate enough to make pitches and get out of that inning. Yeah, most guys, that would have been a huge mistake facing the Cunha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when you're DeGrom, you get away with stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, when you're DeGrom, even you could even strike out a Cunha a couple of times. And he did. Blew him away with a fastball. Yeah. Um, on Moeller, Moeller had just it gave up just one hit, one run. And the hit should have been uh, – that was a game. The hit should have been an error. There was a, it was a double that – it should have been caught in center field, went off his glove. There's two guys kind of converging. But it was a, it was an error all the way, but it was ruled a hit. I mean, he pitched great. Gave it one run, two walks, three strikeouts and four innings, threw 33 strikes and 56 pitches. It pinch hit for him because they had two in scoring yeah. position in a what one-run game at that time. And Pablo Sandoval. Well, that's your only shot off the Grom. I mean, I was thinking that too. Yeah. You know, he could have gone deeper in there. But yeah. a couple. I mean, it's a good thing to get him out with a good start Yeah, his first time, I thought. But – he, you had to take your shot there because yeah. you don't know if DeGrom's coming out. Yeah, and the way Pablo was hitting earlier in the year, you know, I mean, I know he's been cold lately, but he's early in the year he showed what he can do. He's one swing away from having three runs there. But uh, yeah, they had told Mueller if your spot didn't come up, you're going back out for the fifth inning. Yeah. But it came up. But Acuna and Mueller said, tremendous job. I loved watching him pitch. We'd love to see him pitch like that in the future as well. He said as far as that – at bat off DeGrom, it was tremendous. I mean, especially against DeGrom. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, here was Ian Anderson talking about Mueller. They came, they were drafted together. And Tucker Davidson, they all came up together. So, Ian's loving seeing those guys up here now. But he said on Mueller, he goes, that's awesome. To have him and Tucker be up here, two guys I've played with since I was drafted, to see them put all the work that they've put in and to now get this chance is exciting. I want I want them to stay here. And Kyle threw the ball really well today. That was awesome. He said, I try to give them some advice from what little experience I have. It's awesome to have him here. I think he's underselling himself. He's got quite a bit of experience now. And that's got to be huge for Mueller to have a guy he can talk to like Ian. They've been together since they got drafted. And Ian's gone pitching the postseason Same age. Now. Yeah. Same age come up. I mean, the, the best advice you can give to guys in that situation is to just explain them that a good pitch in AAA is a good pitch in the big leagues. Yeah. You know, because – Trust your stuff. You come up and you try to do too much and you, you try to throw too hard. You try to be too nasty with your breaking ball. You fall behind. You're walking guys. And then you finally come in the zone and give up the three-run homer. And everybody thinks you suck and you're overrated. But really, you just got out of your own plan. And, out, you know, you just got in your head a little bit. But, I mean, when it's a guy that you came up with that's yeah. come up and he's done it too. And he's yeah. telling you, like, look, man, it's the same game. It's one thing when Chipper Jones tells you it's the same game. It's right. Like, well, you're Hall of Famer. You've done this your whole <laughs> life. You know? Right. I right. mean, for you to downplay the big leagues is one thing. But if you hear it from another rookie that's saying, look, if you just make your pitches, you get outs or somebody, you know, more of a peer, because you're not going to look at Chipper as a peer ever when you're a young yep. guy or even Freddie. You know, if Freddie's saying that to you or yep. a guy like, you know, Soroka's been in the league long enough and dominated it, it's easy to have the confidence at that point. But if you can come up and just stick to your game plan and stay within yourself, Generally, you're going to do well, but most guys just they come up and they try to do way too much. So hearing it from a peer would would have some extra value. Yeah, I can only imagine that hearing it from a guy that you were struck you 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 got drafted together, you reported together, like to the Gulf Coast League. You probably spent so many nights talking to each other about your dreams yep. and what was what went wrong today. And man, this is harder than I thought. And then all of a sudden, you're watching one of the the guy that you were became good friends with is in the major leagues doing Succeeding. what Ian did last year. Yep. And then what he did in the postseason with all the bright lights. And then what Bryce Wilson did, you know, and you're thinking, 
yeah, these are guys just like me. You know, yeah. I was better than them when we got drafted. So yep. it's got to give you, like you said, so much more confidence coming from a guy like that. Be more, so much more real. Yeah, than it is hearing from a guy like that that you you can't even really equate yourself with yet. You don't put that's, yourself on the same. That's how it was for me. Yeah, I mean, I came up and. I'm looking at Richie Section, Richie Sexton, Adrian Beltre, Jared Washburn, JJ Putz. These guys are grown men to me. I got yeah. nothing in common with them. They have families, mortgages, and you know, I don't yeah. even have an apartment yet. Yeah, I mean, there's so much, even if they're only five or ten years older, they seem like just different humans. You know, you can't yeah. relate to them. But I had a buddy that I'd started in A ball with that year, uh, Mark Lowe, a fellow reliever, and he'd gotten up about three weeks before me. And when I got up there, he's like, Look, man. It's going to be crazy. You're going to have this adrenaline. You're going to see guys you've seen on TV. They're going to intimidate you. I mean, I faced Frank Thomas in my debut. I yeah. mean, you look at Frank Thomas <laughs> in the box, and that's like, I don't know if I can go toe-to-toe with this guy. But yeah. I talked to him, and he was just like, look, every time I've made a good pitch, it's been an out. Every time I've hung something, it's going to get hurt. But if you come up and you do what you were, you've been doing all year, making good pitches, you're going to be fine. So just do as much as you can to stay within yourself that helped me a ton because me and Mark were in a ball that year together and he's having success versus if JJ Putts who throws 98 and just struck out Barry Bonds the week before tells me like, yeah, you just got to make a good pitch. You know, it just doesn't resonate the same as when it's, when it's a guy that you can really relate to and feels like, you know, same age and kind of same place as you in life. Man, what facing the big hurt in your debut, you're like, I didn't see any guy like that in the batter's box in minor leagues. <laughs> I, I got to intentionally walk him, but I didn't want any part of him. <laughs> He's like 6'4", 270, 290. I just He's saw huge. his legs look like tree. Yeah. I just saw two tree trunks in the batter's box with white pants on. The big hurt was huge, man. Even when I intentionally walked him, I threw that shit like five feet outside. <laughs> uh, Mueller said of his performance – you, and, and I don't know if you've seen an interview of this guy, but man, you got to love this guy's energy. He's like one of these guys that's just on high all the time, smiling, happy, so so excited to be here. And he said, uh, which is unusual for such a big guy. Usually they're kind yeah, of the more sullen type of, uh, yeah. I'm too cool. <laughs> yeah. He's not like that. He's all excited, man, like a little dude. Uh, he said, I was pleased with it. It was exciting. And he said he got heckled a little bit in the bullpen. That was pretty cool. He goes, I hadn't had that happen in a long time. So that was cool. He said, I thought it did a way better job today than the other day of executing pitches with two strikes. And that was huge. And then I got behind a couple of guys. But I came back and made some good pitches. So that was also another plus that I was proud of. Gave us a chance as long as I was in there. And he did. Yep. And his break, he threw really good, really good breaking balls. That's the most. That was what I took away from him. When I saw those breaking balls from him, I said, he's going to yeah. be all right. He was a two-pitch pitcher, really, for, until the, in the minors until last year. And he even throws a changeup occasionally. But, yeah, the slider and the curve are really – the sliders really made a difference, I think, with him. Being a two-pitch starter is really tough, especially in today's yeah. game. But, yeah. you know, even I mean – throw you, on 98, it doesn't matter. Everybody does. That's what Freed does. Freed throws the curveball and the slider. I mean, it just gives the hitters – they can see spin, and it's still different speeds to throw them off just enough where they miss one. You could set them up different off your fastball. Um that was that made a big change in my career coming up when I started throwing cutter in a curveball instead of just a curveball. Yeah, you know I mean, but uh, if you're not gonna, if you're going to be a lefty and you're not going to have a changeup, you got to have two breaking balls. Here, before we go, I wanted to. I, I looked up Dallas Jesuits uh, or Jesuit Dallas, I think they call it. Uh, I looked up their school records. They have a site and they have all the records. I think they just started playing ball in 2015. I don't know if it's a new school. Or maybe they just started keeping records, but it seemed to me they just started playing that year. 
And they've got some list here. Highest batting average. Uh, Kyle is eighth on that with a 383 in 2015 and fourth with a 396 in 2016. Okay, so 2016 senior year, he hits 396. Highest slugging percentage, Kyle Muller, 849 in 2016 and 139 (laughs) at bats. 849 slugging percentage, number one. Highest on base average, he is 10th in that with a 482 that year. Then you go, uh, we got most games played. He's 44, he leads that even, (laughs) 44 games played. So he played every game, even when he he wasn't pitching, he played every day. Uh, Most games started, 44, he leads that. Most at bats, 139 and 128. He's first and second on that list. Uh, most runs scored, 40s fifth on that. Here we go, the good stuff. Most hits, he's second with 55 in 2016. Most doubles, he's tied for first with 14, 2015. Most triples, the dude had five triples at six foot seven. <laughs> he had five triples as a as a senior. Then we go most home runs. He's first with 15 homers in 2016. Next on the list, there's two guys tied with seven. So he's hit twice as many homers as anybody else has hit there. And then he's got uh, most RBIs, 52 in 2016. I think that's more than – they played probably 40 games or something. If that, yeah. 30 games? No, 30 games with 149 ABs. Probably played like 35 games. 52 ribbies. Second on the list is 37. <laughs> Most total base is 118. He's first on that list. And then uh, most intentional walks, eight, twice as many as anybody else on that list. Then we go down to pitching. And his pitching, let's see. Uh, God, they got extensive, extensive uh, records here. Lowest earned run average. Cal Muller, 2016, 0-5-9. So he was the Muller of seniors in, in Dallas that year. 0-5-9 in 76 innings. Lowest opponent's batting average. He's second with a 103 that year. Uh, and then most strikeouts per nine innings. He's got the top two. Number one, he had 15.75 strikeouts per nine innings in 2016. 14.98 in 2015 as a junior. In 76 innings, he had 15.75 per uh, and then one other one, he has the, let me say, sorry, eight complete games that year in 2016. And five shutouts as a senior, four as a junior. And where was the total strikeouts? Just one more. I mean, this dude. One was, million. <laughs> <laughs> oh, most strikeouts. Is a senior year, he had 133. In what seventy some innings, second on the list is one hundred eleven. He had one hundred six as a junior. Most strikeouts looking, he had forty eight of his one hundred thirty three. That curveball. <laughs> anyway, this dude was. It a makes phenom. me feel so old when you talk about guys being in high school in two thousand sixteen. <laughs> I was going to ask you, did you have a senior year like that? <laughs> I was pretty good. I think I had like a one nine ERA or something like that. How many but bombs did-, did you hit? Zero. I, I hit like 300, but I just filleted balls to left field. I had a long swing. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing is Texas kids get so much more coaching. And, and they're yeah, they play so many more Texas, games. Texas, California, Florida, those kids are so far ahead when you come out of high school. Yep. 
Travel um, ball and everything. He probably played a hundred games a year as the last couple of years in high school. Yeah, we'd start. Ball. I mean, we'd start our season safe March first, and I've been throwing a ball since February twentieth. You know, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. it, it's it's just totally different. But those are those are impressive high school numbers. But. He's like that proverbial guy, though, the kid in little league that was a foot taller than everybody else, and he just kept growing. He's like Kelly Leak, but he just kept growing. Yeah. So in high school, he's the guy that could have been the, the best athlete in any sport that he played. If he wanted to play football, he would have been the quarterback at six seven, you know, with with the scholarship to Texas. But guy specialized nowadays. Otherwise, he would have been a three sport guy back did in the day. Did he specialize? I wonder yeah. if he did. Oh, he did. But like, if he was in a small town, like if he went to high school like I did in Kansas, this guy would have played three sports. He would have yep. been the center on the basketball team, averaged thirty a game. He would have been quarterback or a tight end on the football team. You know what I mean? Yep. But in Texas or California or Georgia now with the, you know, the last 20 years, these Cobb and all that, they're going to specialize. So it's good and bad. I, 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 I like If it. I had a kid, I'd want a kid to, I'd, to play uh, to everything and try everything. You don't get burned out, I don't think. Yeah. I, you know? I definitely don't like the specializing. I just think you pick up skills in other sports too, you know. Yeah. There's different movements. You know, baseball's so rotational. I think it's hard on your body when you get older just always having rotated one way. Playing football, taking hits, taking you know, playing basketball, changing directions, and all that stuff. I think it makes you a more well-rounded athlete, and also just the burnout. You know, you yeah. see a kid that, and that's another thing. Yeah, I wasn't even that good at baseball till my junior year. I was just kind of middle of the pack and fit in. And then all of a sudden, my senior year, I started throwing ninety-two and got drafted. Yeah, but if I'd been specializing in baseball the whole time, I wouldn't have gotten to play basketball and other sports and enjoyed them. You know, I just think it. There's so many parents that sell out thinking because their kids mature at 12 or 13 and and better than everybody at that age that they're right. going to the major leagues and they start right. pumping all this money into it then they get to their senior year they were 5 10 in 6th grade they're 5 yeah. 10 when they graduate they feel five, it's like <laughs> they, they feel like growing. a failure and they they yeah. they had a job all the way through high school you know I, I that that thing bothers me a lot you know i think kids could enjoy youth sports a lot more without that but some guys, you know, it does work out for. Yeah, some guys it works out for. I think it's case by case, but I think yeah. for the most part, I'm with you on the burnout. I think some kids, by the time they get to the big leagues, it's just a job. Or by the time they get the pro ball in the minors and they can't and they fail for the first time and it feels like, you know, it's a job. Yeah. But those guys that have specialized all the way through high school, I think they it's a different feeling for them, you know, and they start to get better at baseball when they're playing it year round after that. Yeah. So Anyway. Yeah, I mean, if for the kids it works out for, it's great. But I yeah. just think for the kids that it doesn't, and they their dad's just on their ass, and they training all year round and pumping all this money into it. There's all this pressure on them, you know. I just feel like yeah. they don't get to enjoy actual youth sports. It turns into a job too early, especially pitchers. You pile up that use on the arm, and so yeah. many of them have Tommy John by the time they're in high school or shortly thereafter, you know, college. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot lower in the guys that are multi-sport and only play, you know, 20 season, twenty game high school season. And they don't play 100 games a year with travel ball, two two seasons of that and all that. I think those guys. I'd like to see numbers on that. Guys yeah. from guys from the northern states versus guys yeah. from the southern states and arm injuries. I'm sure it's out there. All right. Well, onward and upward. This is uh, the start of a big stretch for the Braves. They got two more against the Mets and then four against – the Reds, and like we've said, I think we're going to know a lot more about this team at the end of the week. They're they're five games out of first now. They were seven and a half when we talked last time. Oh, I was looking at the Padres' record yesterday. They're five games back. How they about might be, them, man? They, they might slipped. be four. 
but they're not though. They're, they're they're I think they're ten games over five hundred. Well, they they had that stretch where they weren't playing very well, and now they're playing well again, and they've they've kept the Dodgers within. They're two. Within well, they're distance they're two the and a half back of the Dodgers, Dodgers but they're the they're Giants. four and a half back of the Giants. Their record's forty two and thirty or forty three and thirty two. They're eleven games over five hundred. Four and, and a half. They're back. leading the wild card, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe as a fan, you'd feel better being four and a half or five back playing so well. But for me, it's like I look at it the other way. The Braves haven't even hit their stride yet, and they're, and they're five only back. five games back. And we've seen the Mets. I watched them last night. They're a flawed team, man. I mean, yeah. they're they're playing well. And they got DeGrom, but they are – if they lose DeGrom for any stretch, it's a wrap. let me forget it. Yeah. And they their lineup, you look at their lineup, and it's not that impressive, man. I mean, no. they're, they're not a, they're, the division is a bunch of flawed teams. You don't the play Nationals them and think right there. They're, they're better than the Braves. No, exactly. And the Nationals are right there with the Braves now, too. They're both five back. So I'm shocked that the Giants have, hang, have hung on this long. I Me mean, too. I just keep waiting for them to go two and eight in a 10 game stretch and everybody catch them. And they just, they're just the pieces are better than the sum of the parts are better than the, 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 the team is better than the sum of the parts. You know what I mean? They have. The they, they, it feels like San Francisco's that always had that, though. Yeah, when they were just, winning it, they had a lot of talent, but they didn't have clearly the most talent when they won just the a three team. World Series in five yeah. years. They had Bochy leading the show, and they just had a team. I, if I'll they hang on, though, a, a wild card series between L.A. and San oh Diego, my God. that people, would be – People would be like, never mind that Padres-Dodgers rivalry. Remember, this is the rivalry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bring it back. But yeah. they'd have to the, the Dodgers would have to beat the Padres in the wild card just yeah. to have a shot at it. I gotta give credit to Kapler, man. I ripped him to shreds last year, two years ago, I mean, and, and he's done a really good job out there. I think he's learned a lot from his failures in Philly. Yeah. How to handle players a lot better and not be such an ass and, and, and think he knows everything. He's done a good job out there. So And you got I think you got a different type of leadership in San Francisco with Crawford, Posey, no those doubt. guys that have Posey, yep, it, yep. It's probably an easier transition for him if he's old school. I think they're probably a more old school team. Yeah, Bryce Harper could have used a guy like uh Posey on his team. Instead of Papelbon <laughs> trying yeah. to choke him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Try to choke out your closer. A little softer approach. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll tell, we'll do this again on uh, Friday, probably one of those All days. Right. It's from Cincinnati. Cool. Seven fifty-five is real. We're out. All right. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.